Is war ever justified? We discuss this and more on this episode of The Overthinkers. Hello, thinking people's thinking people. Welcome to The Overthinkers, a home for those who love to have fun thinking deeply. I'm your host, Joseph Holmes, filmmaker, film critic, lawful good paladin. And with me, as always, is my infuriatingly insightful co-host. Nathan Clarkson, actor, author, filmmaker. And today I am very aptly going with a description I've gone with before, but I am a both lover and fighter. Ooh, very nice. Well, well done. Well, well, uh, well, um, Remembrance. Yes, exactly. Yes. Uh, well, today we are going to be asking a very timely question, but also uh, eternal question. Is war ever justified? But first, Nathan, if people get a lot out of this discussion today, where can they go to find more discussions like this and engage more with fellow overthinkers? They can go to the overthinkersjournal.com where they can find out more about their hosts and get in touch with us, send us all their love and hate mail and ideas for future episodes. They can also go to the private overthinkers group on Facebook where there's now 4,000 of us sharing memes, getting in discussions, sharing our articles and work and just having a great time thinking deeply. Uh, and also, I want to give a, a quick shout out to an upcoming live event that we're having here in New York City on March 27th. We're going to be screening the Oscars live, and we're going to do it in a historic brownstone apartment called the Hepsiba House, which is a ministry center that has been around on the Upper West Side here for uh, I don't know, like a hundred years. It's this really fantastic place. And we're going to be screening the Oscars live together. We want you to be there. Uh, the in, the uh, event bride is up on the overthinkersjournal.com page where you can RSVP or you can go to the private group where you can RSVP. But we want you to be there. We're going to have a red carpet and popcorn and drinks. We're going to have so much fun and we want to see your face there. It's so good for overthinkers and artists to get together in person. And that's why we're doing this. So please join us. We're doing this with Master Media, uh, another group here in the city. And we're just so excited. So please join us. And also, if you do enjoy the uh, the podcast, please leave a review. It really does help us so much and share with a friend. Hey, so you ready to get started? Let's do it. Okay. So whether a war is ever justified is un and, and under what conditions has long been the topic of a topic of debate throughout history. War is defined by Merriam-Webster as a state of usually open and declared armed hostile conflict between states or nations. According to BBC UK's History of War Ethics and War and Peace, the Roman philosopher Cicero was the first known Western thinker to lay the foundations of a just war theory, saying it was only justified in cases of just vengeance or self and self-defense, and only if it was publicly declared and other alternatives refused. This was later further developed by St. Augustine to harmonize it with Christian ethics, who said that you must love your enemies and all war is a sin and therefore can only be done in order to correct some greater sin, like the murder of innocents. This was later further adapted and fully developed by St. Augustine into the just war theory that we think of today, which states that just war must be one, a last resort, two, by a legitimate authority, three, for a just cause, four, with a high probability of success, five, with the right intention, six, including proportionality, and seven, avoiding civilian casualties. This view became the foundation of Western thought around violence and undergirds most thinking by proponents of justified war today. However, not everyone believes that war can ever be justified. The pacifist movement includes many early Christians who refused to fight for the Roman army because they believed the teachings and example of Jesus precluded violence of any kind. 
Today, Quaker and Mennonite traditions similarly point to the teachings and example of Jesus and the sacredness of every human life, as well as the example of early Christians who engaged in nonviolent resistance against Roman aggression. These groups were conscientious objectors during World War II, one, World War II, and the same nonviolent tradition also inspired many nonviolent modern nonviolent political resistance of activists like Gandhi and Dr. Martin Luther King. Nathan, why is the issue of whether or not war is justified so difficult among well-meaning and intelligent people? And where do you land on whether war is ever justified and in what cases? Oh man, this question is loaded, especially right now. You know, we're doing this um, episode shortly after the news that was kind of heard around the world broke around the invasion of Ukraine, um, and we're kind of watching uh, the, the, the beginnings of war take place. And even some would say that it, it is war. The, you know, these are acts of war um, from one country to another. And this is kind of put in the minds of many people, um, maybe a fear or a, a, a trepidation about what could happen. You know, you see a lot of memes right now going around talking about World War III. Uh, people are handling this in different ways. There's jokes about it. You know, people try to um, to try to deal with fear and, and, and process these things in jokey ways, but you also see very serious articles talking about could this happen and fear mongering going on and uh, what's going to happen. And so it's interesting that all of a sudden within the past month or really a few days or weeks, um, the topic of war is suddenly on the forefront of both our individual minds and our societal mind, right? And so this is interesting. I, I'm glad that we're covering this subject um, because I think it's a worthy one. And it's especially hard for, you know, you and me as people who call themselves people of faith and Christians, because we really do believe that Christianity is, asks us to be people of peace. You know, we have all these verses about turn the other cheek. We have, um, these are that lay down, you know, lay down your arms, uh, 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 uh what is it? Turn your plow, uh, turn your swords into plowshares. Um, yeah. you know, those who live by the sword die by the sword. And yet, so, so we have the ideal, right, that we ought to be people of peace, that war is a bad thing, that this is not something that God wants, is death and destruction. He wants forgiveness. He wants uh, grace. He wants uh, uh, con connection and goodness. And so yeah. it's interesting. Restoration. Yes, exactly. That that peace is the is what God desires, ultimately. Yeah. And he asks us to be, and violence is something that God abhors. Yeah. And so it's hard to be in this position where we believe that to be true, yet we live in a real world in which countries invade other countries, where where people, um, uh, where dictators kill innocent people, and then we go, okay, well, what do we do? How do we be people of peace while while dealing with an evil that lives in the world of of yeah. people, you know, hurting innocent? So th this will be a rare episode where I, you might hear me flip flop a few times because there's there's part of me that wants to be something and the part of me, my practical side yeah. that knows maybe I can't be. So this is a very difficult question and that's not even answering the question you asked. Um, and, <laughs> I said, and I'm, I'm used to that by now. With you. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, and I want to cover the, uh, the just war theory, which I think is really valuable to at least look into, because this is something that many people uh, and Christians, but all of Western society has looked to, to kind of yeah, guide. International like, law has based almost entirely on just war theory. For exactly, yeah, which is amazing. Um, so I'll start with the side, my, I hate, hesitate to call my emotional side, but my desires side. Sure, yeah, your, I, your, your ide ideology, your beliefs, your kind of view, but yeah. Exactly. I would like to be a person, a pacifist, but sure. not a pacifist in the sense of not doing anything, 
but a, a not a person of nonviolence. Yeah, that is something I see reflected in scripture. I, I see reflected in the image of Christ. I see ref- that I think is ultimately best for the world to be a person of nonviolence. Yeah, and that actually goes against my personality. By the way, I'm I I don't mind confrontation. I don't mind saying my thing. I have been in fights, and it's something that comes naturally in my personality. So, in fact, my Christianity has actually changed me to push me more toward becoming a person of peace. So this yeah. is a natural proclivity for me, but it's one I believe is good and it's one I now desire. I, I want to be a person of nonviolence. And I, and I wish I could say, you know, um, with, with some of the Christians throughout history, yeah, war is always evil and it is, and we should never enter into it. You should never do it no matter what. And part of me wants to say, yeah, I agree. Let's, war is bad all the time. Never do it. But then we have examples throughout history where evil people have taken advantage of people who don't fight back yeah. and um, and ethnically cleansed six yeah. million uh, people of a people group. Um, and the only way that was stopped was through the intervention, through the uh, uh, construction of war by people saying, no, this isn't okay. So this is such a difficult thing for me. And, and that makes it really hard to just say, okay, war is always bad. Okay, that's easy to say war is always bad and then people get murdered and, right. and um, innocent lives get taken. And so I guess I'm at this place where I'm still figuring this out. What do yeah. I do with my desire for peace, but also the practical reality I'm living in um, if doesn't allow that if I do want to stand up and protect people? So that's kind of the, the beginning sure, of this. Sure where I am and we'll, and we'll flesh it out. But what are your thoughts on this? Yeah. Well, I think, I think one thing I really appreciate about what you're saying is that, and it doesn't, that doesn't often get said in any debate nowadays, um, let alone ones about war uh, or violence, which is that it's complicated. It's actually a hard question to solve. And that's something that really nobody wants to acknowledge about the problems that we're, we're getting. And again, you don't have people debating and unable to solve a question for over two, you know, several thousand years without it being a difficult question to solve. Um, and so I think that you know, peop, uh, sort of self-righteous posturing, I think, by people on this issue is, 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 is unwarranted um, when people do that, either of proponents of war or, or of, of um, pacifist nonviolence uh, tradition. Um, because as you say, because the thing is, we live in a tradition that has seen both the benefits and the consequences of both of these uh, schools of thought and traditions. Obviously, you know, um, uh, just war theory even, and, and ideas that wars can be justified, um, has been used to do a lot of horrible things. You know, mm. it's been used. I mean, the holy wars, you know, were a part of the, you know, were you just used justified using, you know, just war tradition. And obviously, you know, it, it's almost sort of, you know, I don't even have to list the amount of time people have said, well, in our case, killing all of these people is, are just, is justified, you know, and in order to do that. On the other hand, like you said, we also have examples throughout history of, of the fact that people who have not had the means to defend themselves or have chosen not to defend themselves have been wiped out. You know, one of my professors says the only um, the only places where nonviolent people exist are in peaceful, violent societies. You know, it's like, it, you know, uh, the Amish and the Mennonites live in America in a place that can protect them from, you know, from uh, people like, you know, people, uh, warlord dictators. Um, and, uh, you know, again, even, you know, so there's, there's a lot of, there's, I just give so many examples, you know, about, you know, even, you know, even uh, in early Christianity had protection 
uh, uh, reason, part of the reason for Christianity's early spread was the um, uh, Roman Empire's ability to protect people on the roads of uh, travel. Um, and uh, but on the other hand, again, we have ex- and like you said, we have examples of you know World War II, the Holocaust was stopped by acts of war against uh, Nazi Germany. Um, well, on the other hand, we have a lot of examples of renewal and restoration of uh, of societies coming from very actively nonviolent groups of people. You know, again, the early Christians also still with under that protection of Rome, um, you know, they they were engaged in nonviolent resistance against, you know, they against that's how Christianity spread was through nonviolent resistance against people who were persecuting them. There wasn't a violent resistance. There was nonviolent resistance. Um, and again, you know, we have Gandhi and Mark, Dr. Martin Luther King, who, you know, were, you know, were responding to real acts of evil and oppression against them with an extreme commitment to nonviolence being the restorative. And so I will say two parts. One, our tradition doesn't give us clear guidelines. And then the second part is, you know, our personal experience doesn't give us two gui- clear guidelines either, you know, because, you, you know, which I'll, I'll get to a little bit later. But then also, I'll even say, the Bible, it's difficult to find clear guidelines on this too, because you mentioned all the things that, you know, Jesus said that was like, hey, you know, it, be not violent. I'll even go further. The zealots were the first people to leave Jesus and to ignore Jesus' claims because he was saying, no, I'm not into this whole, you know, violent overthrow of the Romans. And so they were like, okay, we're, you're gone. gone. Um, and that said, he never said in so many words, war is always bad, violence is always bad. He also did say, hey, you're allowed to bring knives with you to protect yourselves from thieves to, you know, to his disciples. And the, the disciples, yes, they were extremely nonviolent, but they also, you have Paul, also Paul, who said that, you know, governments are okay. Rome, you know, government can't have a sword. And they praised, many apostles praised Joshua, who was an extra, as, a, as an exemplar of faith, who was a very violent person. And so that's sort of the thing that like Augustine and Aquinas were trying to deal with is how do we reconcile these extremely um, pacifistic and nonviolent passages of the Bible with the um, with practical, the practical the practical aspects of like and, and the aspects that even the Bible saying here are some good examples of this being done. Um, and I think Augustine had, again, conceptually, but not practically, one of my favorite kind of ways of talking about it, which he basically said, war is always bad. Sometimes it's a lesser evil. And, you know, mm. because that is within the Christian tradition also of Jesus saying, I allow divorce because there's no way for you to handle any other thing. It's still bad, but I'm allowing it because, you know, and so conceptually, he's, Augustine seems to be the only person who says, war is always bad. Sometimes there's something worse that you might go engage in to do it. That said, it still doesn't always help us tell us, okay, when is it, you know, um, okay in this instance versus not, because that always seems to go into a slippery slope element. So anyway, uh, that I've talked for a long time. Now back to you on, on your thoughts. Well, this is a perfect transition to kind of what I was thinking about is how we focus the conversation around the concept of war a lot. Is sure. war good or bad? And I think that sometimes ignores the the bigger question, the more important question is war is just kind of a tool, right? Yeah. Let's look at war as this just object that can be used. It's like a sword, right? Sure. Um, 
but we have to say what are the motivations behind why sure. this thing is being used. So, you know, we and this is a, a poor example, but a hammer can be used to build something or to kill someone. Right. And so it is in and of itself, it's just a tool. How that tool is used um, matters. The intentions that go into using this tool matters. And so I think that's what uh, Augustine and, and Aquinas were trying to do when they're, yeah. they're formulating this theory is they were trying to find um, how can this, if we have to use this tool, and yeah. let's say it's a, it's a bad tool, it's one we have to use, how do we use it in a way that's right. going to ultimately be constructive? So let's take the focus off of war, per se, right, sure. and rather look at the the intentions behind it. Okay. Because, um, and this is what I love that they, they, um, that they pointed out, because you know, I would say that if we just look at war and all war is evil and everyone who engages in war is is bad, that's an that's not a very nuanced look because sure. then you're going to say that the people protecting um, uh, the Jews in World War II right. um, were just as evil as the warlord dictator um, in in the Sudan who goes and ethnically cleanses. You'd say they're on the same level, and they're not. But right. I think the 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 impetus behind each of their actions, even though they sure. both um, engaged in this thing called war matters. And so this is what I love that's laid out. And, and I know you went through them early, but I, I do want to talk about yes. a few of them right here yeah. is, um, and you see this clearly is the, the, the intention matters behind, yeah. uh, even if we're going to be engaged in war, the intention matters. And what you see with the just war theory is the first thing it says is it's a last resort. Yes. That this is not something you jump into gleefully. This yeah. is not something you you do for glory or for conquest. Yes. This is something you do when there are no other uh, viable options. Right. This is right. something, and you only do it, it, which is number two, for a just cause. And the explanation of the just cause, a little extrapolated, is it must uh, correct a grave, immediate, or ongoing evil. Yeah. And so... Yeah. One, you don't just jump into it. This is the last resort. And two, there has to be a good, and by good, yeah. we mean moral, ethical reason you're engaging in this. And it and it's not an act of aggression. It's almost always an act of defense, right. of protection, of preservation. And so- and Either of yourself or potentially of somebody else. Exactly. And that's why it must correct a grave or immediate ongoing evil. So it's correcting an evil. War is being used to correct something that's gone wrong, not to cause something wrong. Yeah. Um, and then also, you can't just decide, uh, according to this, you can't just decide, okay, let's jump into war now. You have to have a valid authority. Mm, it must yeah. arise from a consistent policy or principle. You can't just say, you know, well, I, I decided this is a moral and ethical thing right. for me to, you know, take over my neighbor's house. You have to have um, someone who's consistently shown a organization or, or government or whatever, consistently shown goodness in their actions uh, uh, to, to validate the action of war. Um, and, and then you have to have probable success. You don't enter into war unless you know you will be, um, there's a probability, a high probability. There's a good chance, yeah. Yeah, of you, of you winning. And then proportionality, this is another thing. This is uh, the Geneva uh, Rules of War actually yeah. hold this, which is, this is not about revenge. Yeah. This is not about punishment. This is, oh, this, and this one is number five is proportionality. Yeah. It's so you only do the thing necessary to bring about order again. Yeah. Force must be proportionate and no more than necessary. Yeah. So this actually, it reigns in man's natural desire for revenge and right. violence and, and um, anger. And it says, no, you only do the thing to bring about as far as you need to, to bring about order again. And then this is really interesting. The last one is exit strategy. 
which is mm. it must be fought fairly and, and as quickly as possible and have a an obvious way out. So this is not something, so it again is recognizing this is not a good thing or a natural state. Right. This is something we want to get out of. Now, I just want to explore those because and say those again, because I do think they are very interesting. Now, we still haven't answered the question, yeah. can this be reconciled with our desire for peace? Um, but I would say to the people who say war is evil, peace is the only way, I agree, peace is the ultimate good. But sometimes, and this is just occurring to me now, I hadn't really made up my mind about this, but it does seem that sometimes to, to find peace is only through engaging in a fight. That yeah. in, without engaging in the fight, actually more destruction, war, and um, innocence lost will be had if you don't engage in the fight. Um, it's yeah. the same reason that we have police put criminals behind bars because you could say, well, they should just be peaceful and not interact with them. Yes, yeah, so this criminal will cause more violence and more um, detrimental actions. And it's interesting what you brought up about the hierarchy, right? Mm. The hierarchy of importance. War is evil and is hell, but um, is there a higher, a higher good here, which yeah. is um, peace, essentially? So peace yeah. is I think, all of our desires or should yeah. be all of our desires, ultimately, but how we get there practically is a really difficult yeah. question to answer. Well, and, and you know, it's like there's, um, what was it? Um, I had a professor, Dr. Parks at the King's College one time. He's talked about um, there's peace, but there's different kinds of peace. And there's there's peace that's technically peaceful, but it's oppression. So like, you know, you have, again, Soviet Union, where it was, you know, under Soviet Union, it was all peaceful, but people were throwing them into gulags, you know, and, you know, and, 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 but you're right. I mean, I think Augustine talks about this too, about like, you know, you, you basically make war in order to do peace. Um, I, I was thinking about the analogy of doctors are, are their first rules to do no harm, but they do cut people's bodies open in order to repair damage that is done. And of course, we don't see what doctors doing as equivalent to somebody just, you know, slicing someone with a knife. You know, it's uh, because they're not equivalent, even, you know, because one is trying to repair and the other is trying to conquer or destroy in some way. I think one of the things there's a um, Bill Burr did a, a stand up set a while back where he was talking about sort of the difference that he takes interacting with with men versus women, because with 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 there's a lot of things that he learned growing up not to do because he knew somebody was going to punch him if he if he you know he couldn't be too mean or aggressive toward other people because another guy was probably going to punch him if he did speak softly and carry a big stick and and there is again i i experienced this sort of in my own life and again even you know dealing with people uh um uh, dealing with uh people who are mentally challenged like they will hurt and abuse other people and you if they don't think you're capable of standing up to them in a uh, in in a potentially physical way. Obviously, you're not allowed to actually do physical things to the people when you're working there. But you know, unless they think that you're actually able to stand up to them um, in a physical in a physical way with all the proper documentation with it, they won't they won't stop. And I think that that's sort of a reality that people kind of keep confronting. On the other hand, it just seems that people are not able to to once you let that door in say, well, here's a situation where it's justified, you know, and you can think about it. Okay. We're, are, we're in the process of repairing, you know, our job is to repair rather than destroy. It doesn't matter. People will always find a way to say, well, in this case, 
here's why it's here's why it's justified to do anything I want in a case of repairing. Again, even again, I'm trying to avoid using real controversial examples. Um, but you know, I, you know, regardless, you know, Pre President Putin is saying, look, actually, this actually belongs to me, and there's, you know, there's, uh, uh, and and there's a lot of strife going on that we can actually solve and fix, you know, as his justification for going in and invading another country. And I, so I think it. How so he has a logic that he believes is justifying his action, yes. just like Hitler did when yes. he. he you look at the the upbringing or how Hitler rose to power. He had a lot of justifications, and he sold yeah. it very well. You know, yeah. look at Himmler and how he, how he did all this. And so, there's always a logic behind this. Yeah. But we, as a society, have to go: Is this logic based on goodness? Yeah. So, how do we? Uh, do you think uh, what for you is a good way to avoid the the slippery slope? I guess sort of problem with justifications of war and violence. Do you think that? Um, just I, do you what I guess I say what what do you what do you think is a good way to sort of prevent that problem from occurring? Well, I would have to look at on an individual level. You know, you mentioned the the Ukraine business right now. It's interesting because right one country thinks they have this right and this yeah. they have a justification in their mind, and yet all of the the entire world, <laughs> yes. like right, left, Republican, Democrat, kind of go sees it very. Clearly, I, I very rarely seen yeah. so many people see yeah. things in the same perspective. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's one way is to get if you find that you are going against the um, I'm not saying to go with the crowds, um, but I am saying when there's a coalition of um, insight and perspective that can kind of go, oh, maybe this isn't good when a lot of people from a lot of different faiths and beliefs yeah. and understandings and kind of all come to the same conclusion that I don't think this is good. You know, and this is why sure. you see the entire world rooting for this little country um, to, to uh, stand up and fight back. And so it's interesting to see all that happen at once. And you see that so many people see it so clearly, yet there's an entire country that sees an entirely different way. Yeah. Um, which is, uh, or, or at least the leadership in that country, yeah. even though many of the people in that country don't yeah. share the leadership view. Um, so it is interesting to see that. Um, but I, I guess I would have to, if asking myself what I find yeah. to be um, the, the justifications to act in a violent manner, um, but I would have to bring it down off of a political stage because there's so much sure. nuance, right? Yeah. Off of a, a global stage and bring it to, let, let's say, individual. Uh, Nathan, what would you do? Yeah. How would you act? Would you act violently? And, you know, I think about, okay, let's say I'm at a restaurant and someone is uh, uh, coming towards me uh, and demanding I give them money or, or would, and, I, and the only option I have is to either fight back or capitulate which ultimately would be my destruction. I would have sure. my, you know, throat slit or something. At that point, you know, you have the fight instructors. I remember a great fight instructor when I was younger and I was, I was taking a hot keto was uh, you only ever act in defense. Sure. And yeah. so if it's defense of yourself, and again, you find this reflected in the just war theory, if it's defense of yourself and your own bodily autonomy, um, and it's not, and it's proportional. So you don't take yeah. the knife and then stab him. Um, in fact, uh, the, my teacher said you get the weapon away and throw it away. Uh, yeah. and your goal is to incapacitate the yeah. attacker so they cannot cause harm. So your goal isn't to cause harm to yeah. the, the attack. So to me, it would be, is your goal to cause harm to someone sure. or is your goal to incapacitate a harmful presence? And I think that could be a justification for sure. war. What, again, it goes back to this intention thing. Are is this country what whatever country it is is are they doing this 
in an attempt to cause harm to yeah. someone else uh, for whatever means, for selfish gains or whatever? Or are they doing this in an attempt to stop the cause of harm and stop an agent of harm? So, so there's a, three things there that, that really jump out to me. One is when you talk about intention, I always go back to that Star Trek episode. I forget the title of it. It's one of our nerd audience members will will remember but it's where they they basically these these alien god like creatures um uh set up a battle between uh kirk the enterprise and this other alienation and to fight to the death and they say it's like look and they do like in the kirk wins they they beat and they kill the the others and he says look there's nothing no difference between the two of them and the, the two of you you both like are ultimately violent creatures and kirk said okay but what did you promise us versus what did you promise them you know, and, you know, you said, well, we, we threatened to kill the lives of your friends if you didn't involve it. We offered them power. And so, like, there is that understanding that there is a difference um, there. I also say, I, I think that one of the things that's interesting I think you point out is the accountability aspect. One of the things I think is really interesting is that about the just war theory is that it was developed and made sort of a public theory that everybody could um, get on board with and then they could hold each other accountable to. So you have, again, it's like, you know, where it's like everybody, everybody can say, yeah, here's how I think I'm checking off these boxes. And then everybody else can say, I don't think you're actually checking off all those boxes. Um, uh, and they uh, or can not kind of, checking them the right way, checking yeah. them the right way. Yeah. And, and it can hold us accountable. It's a standard of justice that we can hold each other accountable to um, and either and, and get that insight from other people, whether or not we're doing that. And also other people can hold us accountable to that. I think that's one of the interesting things. I think it's interesting to find how often public nature of things is done in the Bible, um, you, know, a, a, you know, regardless of how one thinks about different aspects of the Old Testament, one of the things is, that's interesting is that they make a really, um, uh, they make a, a very strong, very like consistent point about the fact that God was warning and telling and legitimizing himself to the people who are in the land of Canaan that he was promoting to the Israelites, that I'm the true God and I'm giving this land to them, please leave. And he was proving himself to these other people and not just to the Israelites and giving them warning. And so regardless of how one feels about all of those different passages and all the things that were done there, it's interesting that there is this theme in the Bible of things being public. Again, Jesus' resurrection being public, different miracles being public. And so I think this aspect of making the just war theory a public thing that everybody gets on board with and and again making your actions public and accountable to police and things like that i think are really um i think are really that that's for me an important aspect of of this, avoiding the slippery slope is other people also holding you to that standard as well as yourself but now i want to i want to i want to jump in here is what about the people again who were nonviolent even in cases where it might be justified to be violent. Because again, we have the nonviolent movements of, 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 you know, the Christians, early Christians against Rome and, and against, you know, the persecution that was happening there. And they had, you know, in, in almost any sort of say, we could say justification for being violent back. Um, and yet mm -hmm. they often weren't. And then of course, again, you had Gandhi and Dr. Martin Luther King, you know, the easy examples of, and, and if we can say, okay, here's places where it's justifiable. Um, to use violence. Um, where do we find the room then for active nonviolence being a form of fighting back against evil? 
Well, that's a good way to put it. It's active nonviolence rather than just pacifism. Because yeah. pacifism conjures in our minds this image of someone just not doing anything. I don't right. want to go to war. I want to sit and watch TV. Right. Where active nonviolence is the what you see in Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr., yeah. uh, Dr. King, is you, they're not just sitting back. Like Dr. Yeah. King didn't just say, okay, racism is fine. I don't want to do anything. Yeah. No, he fought back, but he didn't fight physically. Right. So it's interesting to, to think about this concept of fighting without physical fighting right. how do you fight ideas how do you fight ah, um, okay uh, which is an interesting kind of re rethinking of the question and uh, the one thing i will say here is it's interesting we have to wrestle with this kind of ethical question is we all know that violence well maybe it's justified in some situations very often is evil right, right. but hardly so very often the the choice to be violent towards something whether uh individual individually or on a, a global scale, um, very often is um, used badly. Yeah. But almost, very rarely would we say this person chose not to be violent. Is there, um, is it a bad thing? Meaning the choice for peace or to not engage in physical violence is almost never a bad thing where the choice to engage in physical violence very often is. Now, I guess we'd have to argue with the ethical understand, well, is the choice not to engage in physical violence? You know, when someone's getting attacked next to you and, and you run yeah. away, is that a good choice? So, you know, oh, so, so the bias of yeah. the bias of, of oh, yes, this is the bias being toward nonviolence. You talked about this, you know, in terms of uh, just war theory. Well, we, we both talked about the church. Well, and you brought up just war theory is that um, every other option has to be uh, non viable first yes. before use violence. And of course, sometimes this is something you have to make a decision about in like, you know, 0.5 seconds. So, you know, but if, but if you, but first you have to say, is there any other option? And if there is another option to do non, you know, fighting through non-physical beings, non-violent, active non-violence, you are morally obligated to take that one. Um, and it's like, have we tried non-violent uh, um, uh, active nonviolence. Have we tried active nonviolence yet? And has that been working? Um, I think that that's a, a question we always have to have, always have to ask. I think, you know, and, and it's interesting without going into different political things, there's a lot of instances where people are actually unaware that the nonviolent, uh, active nonviolence has been working. Um, well, that, that's something I want to bring up real quick because, um, because uh, of course, protecting your family, your country, yeah. innocence, goodness—that is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, and and I think you know, unfortunately, there's not a lot of other um, options. But one thing I I do want to uh, say is, war should never be something we're excited. To get in sure yes, yes yes of course we want to cheer for the underdogs and the team we want them to win but this is not a gleeful thing sure. war means death of god's created um image in his people war means which is why i always tend towards as realistically as i can towards yeah. nonviolence, because war and violence is always going to be doing physical harm against creatures and people who are eternal souls made in the image of God. And this is not something to be excited for. This is not something to um, to hope for. Uh, war is something we should hope to avoid. And I promise you, anyone right now who is engaged in having to fight is wishing they weren't having to do this. Because um, so it, even if they have to, um, this is not something to be excited about. It is something um, 
as the the just war theory says, it's the last resort. And again, it comes after attempting peace at all yeah. costs because peace is ultimately the goal here. And that's where I end up. And I don't know where, you know, war good, war bad. I just know at the end of the day, peace is my goal. And whatever I have to do, whatever country has to do to achieve good, healthy, free peace it should be the goal. And hopefully that will guide our decisions in what we ought to do and how we ought to act. But peace and beauty is ultimately the goal. That's beautiful. And I, I don't think that I would be able to live with myself if I didn't uh, finish us off by the quote from Faramir from not the Lord of the Rings movies, because for some reason I took this out of Lord of the Rings movies, but Lord of the Rings, the two towers, the book, which is, I care not for the sword for its sharpness, the shield for its shine, or the bow for its swiftness. I love only that which they defend. Yeah. Wow, that's perfect. That's a, that's a perfect your attitude. Oh, that's a perfect place to end, Fairmir. Tolkien, and Tolkien was someone who had experienced war and desired and loved yes. And so he knew how to write that into a character in a meaningful way. So that's a that's a wonderful place to end. I hope today that uh, during these kind of trying, scary times, um, one, to all the people, to anyone who might be listening in um, in Eastern Europe or, or wherever any kind of war-torn place is happening, no, we we wish you peace and we wish your life, uh, yeah. and we're so sorry that you've experienced this, and we hope and pray um, that wholeness will be a part of your world again, um, and we hate any destruction that's happened to you, and we're with you, um, yeah. but, um, and I hope to anyone who isn't in those that we can learn a little bit how to think about violence because both joseph and i are still figuring this out we, we're not figuring yeah. this out because this is a difficult and hard process but let's let's try to think deeply about this not simplistically because yeah. at the end of the day lives and, are and at how, stake and because this does also um affect how we help others who are yes um involved in this and so we're praying again we're supporting you who are being uh unjustly treated and invaded and we're, we're, we're with you to, to, to have wholeness and restoration. And uh, we're uh, praying that, that we would be given the right ways to help in whatever ways we can. Um, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, okay. Um, cool. Well then we're going to move on to a blesses and curses where we're going to talk about uh, works of uh, resources and art works of art in this case about the topic of war uh, that we think do a good job of helping orient us to um, a, a positive way of looking at and understanding a war versus a negative ones. So uh, do you want to go first or shall I take the first one? This one? You, you go first. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll wrap up. Sure. Sounds good. That sounds, sounds like a good idea. All right. So I'm going to, I've got two movies that I think are probably a couple of the best that I've seen at grappling with the nuances of war and it's, you know, it's the reasons that it exists and is necessary, perhaps even, but also it's 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 dark side. Um, the first is going to be one that I've talked about on this show before, but it's one of my favorite movies and it's perfect for this. I'd rest it reticent if I didn't include it, is Eye in the Sky, which mm. the entire thing, it's a political thriller, and the entire thing is about a joint US and British um drone operation where they have to decide if they're going to. Um, use a drone to strike a terrorist who are going to bomb, uh, or, or going to bomb someplace. But if they do that, they might uh, end the life of a, of a young girl. And so it's the entire movie is them just figuring out where they're going to do it. And one of the things I think it does a great job of 
is showing how seriously one should take, and oftentimes people do take these ethical questions, and how difficult and hard the ethical questions are, and the trade-offs that you're looking for and looking at. So I think that, um, I, I don't know of a movie that really does that better, really explicitly deals with how hard the questions are, and deals with uh, taking them seriously. And it's just a great, well-done movie. It's, it's um, Alan Rickman's final on-screen role. It's got Helen Mirren wow. and Aaron Paul. It's, standout performances by everyone um so that's the first one the other one i think is be the american sniper and this one is sort of very misunderstood because it's sort of like it's beloved by many of its fans for the wrong reasons and it's disliked by many of its critics for the wrong reasons um because many people who watch it feel like okay this is just a rah 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 kind of pro war film and then many of the people who dislike it feel like it is too and again it does show positive portrayal of a soldier who believes that you know, the right thing to do in this instance and many instances is to go to war. Um, and it, it doesn't judge him and it shows him making the choices he does. But it also does show the costs to him, his family and everybody else who engaged in it. Um, and it does show how the people on the other side also see themselves in as legitimate a conflict. Um, so it doesn't, many times these movies that try to show the different nuances um, end up um, trying to make people, uh, telling people what they should think. And this one, it does take, look at, this is a, of how a patriot feels, and we're not going to judge him for that. But we're also going to show how costly it is and the nuances of it. So I think it really is a, a good film for that reason to, to watch and to think about these issues. Um, so when it comes to curses, I'm cursing, you know, one movie that is, has a, basically movies that have naive views of war. So I'm going to take, um, uh, one that's got a naive view sort of, of, of nonviolence and pacifism and not, and uh, and an overly romantic view of war. So the first one I'm going to do is, oh, whoops, I forgot the title. Um, I think it's Over the Horizon. What was it? I got to just quickly Google Shangri-La. Uh, Lost Horizon, the 1937 movie Lost Horizon. And that movie, again, it's, it's about this lost city of Shangri-La that's all peaceful. There's no conflict and no problems. And it's just because people decided to be good and to be polite to each other. I mean, there's, there's this, it, there's this line where somebody says, you know, I wish that, you know, like, if we just, if somebody invades us and we just, you know, said here, let's, you know, we'll give you food and clothing, whatever you could need, they'll stop and think, you know, and the, and it's just like, it's like, and I remember it was funny because I remember watching with my family and when that happened, my mom just spoke up and was like, you know, yeah. And they'll kidnap your kids and torture them before your eyes. You know, it's, it's, it's like, that's, that's what's going to happen. And there's this whole thing of like, I don't, you know, it's like, how, they say, how do you settle like disputes if there are two people who well, like the same woman? It's like, well, you know, if you just use good manners to, to solve those disputes. And it's just like, it's just all, the entire thing is just you know, Pollyanna in the worst way, naivete about like what human nature is actually like. Uh, and so that I think is, is it's a popular film, but it's, it's the most, it's the worst example that I've seen of this, this of a naive way of looking at nonviolence. You, if you're going to be nonviolent and a purist of nonviolence, it has to be based on reality and not whatever Lost Horizon is based on. So I'm cursing that movie. And then I'm also going to curse, and this one is a pretty, actually a pretty safe one, but it's, you know, the best I could find um, is uh, Pearl Harbor by Michael Bay. <laughs> now, I actually like Michael Bay, and I enjoyed myself while watching this movie, uh, even though many people weren't. But it does shamelessly glorify violence that should not be glorified. I mean, it makes the, the Pearl Harbor destruction look cool. Um, 
And even worse, they portray the Japanese as having attacked, um, you know, hospitals and civilian places there when they did not. Um, and so it, it ends up kind of trying to villainize the other side more than they were actually villains in history. And you don't need to do that in order to say that, you know, the Japanese were on the wrong side of this conflict. You don't need to. So this thing of violence being cool for its own sake that's in there and also to overly villainize our enemies in order to justify villainizing them, demonizing them, very toxic aspects. So it really, there is so much in Pearl Harbor that is the most toxic aspects of, of warmongering. And so I, that's, that's why, even though I enjoyed it while I watched it, I have to ultimately condemn it as a, as a, as an, in a sense, an evil work of fiction. So interesting. Well, if Michael Bay hears this, you're in trouble. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, it's gonna <laughs> it's gonna really like affect his his bottom line and his life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So my blessings and curses. Um, I grew up on old AMC war movies. You know, mm. one of my very first. You know, I'll, I'll give this a quick bless. One of my very first favorite movies was To Hell and Back about Audie Murphy, Ooh. World War II. Um, he, he was a World War II most decorated, I think, soldier in American history. And he, after World War II, he became an actor, went to Hollywood, and then he acted in the biography of his of himself in World War II. So he actually had to relive all these things. And so obviously I wanted to be a hero and I also wanted to be an actor. So I loved him. I dressed up as him and did a report on him. Um, but so that, that was really fun. So I've been watching these war movies forever because there's this great possibility for heroism in war right. movies. Um, and obviously, as you get older, you learn that there's a lot more nuance and what about peace and what about the ethics and what about, you know, all these different things. And two movies that I thought recently dealt with this very interestingly and well. One, I actually got to go to the premiere here in New York a while ago, oh, yeah. uh, the premiere of Hacksaw Ridge. Mm. Hacksaw Ridge is a true story. Uh, Andrew Garfield plays um, the character of a, of a real guy named Desmond Doss who became a World War II hero during one of the bloodiest battles in the Pacific theater where he ended up saving 75 soldiers without ever carrying a gun. And he fought his own, um, his own uh, unit in the, in the superiors to not carry a gun. He wanted to be a part of helping, but he didn't want to carry a gun. So I think this is a beautiful picture. You know, we're talking about some of the people who are actively nonviolent. Yeah. And that's something I really desire to, to believe in and be. I, I'm still working it out uh, ethically and, and, and morally and value-wise in my head. But that's where I'd like to be, is yeah. be an active person of nonviolence. Yeah. And I think Desmond Dawes is a really great picture of that. Uh, he was able to help be a part of uh, making the world whole, being part of yeah. standing against evil, while never actually taking part in the destruction yeah. of um, of someone else uh, who is made in the image of God, uh, your quote unquote enemy. And the movie was just done so beautifully. Yeah. Um, it was the, the the performances, the filming. It was epic and meaningful. Yeah, and it had all the 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 trappings of a heroic war movie while the main character never kills anyone. And so it's a yeah. really, really great Except movie. Except for that one time where he kicks the, the grenade back. Uh, the, the, oh, uh, that's true. <laughs> yeah, how does this but, count? But, this but, well, count? but even then it was more about trying to prevent it from hitting the his side yes. than it was, yes. you know, that's so, true. so, but. <laughs> so that, I remember a scene that was like, wait, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes. But yes, no, uh, it's, it is, it is, it is, it is one of the most amazing movies ever because it is a heroic war movie without, you know, it being primarily about the hero committing violence. Like that is, yes. it's, it's difficult. Literally to about, about the hero 
not committing violence. Yeah. So I I really watch it. It is very violent. uh, So warning, but it is very, it's a beautiful movie. One of the most violent, non-violence movies you will ever watch. (laughs) Yes. Well, and then the the next one I want to bring up, which I think is a brilliant movie, actually, is it got very mixed reviews. I can't remember what you think about it or not, but Jojo Rabbit Hmm. was a really uniquely interesting movie to me for a few reasons. One, I think the direction is uh, beautiful. I think the performances were fantastic. The the main character is a kid who, um, how do I explain this, who has an imaginary friend of Hitler who is amalgamized by all the... Um, images he sees from the propaganda. So he kind of sees this figure of someone he can believe in and trust in this figure is kind of talking to him through propaganda and telling him these things about the world. So it gives you this really interesting picture of a young kid in Nazi Germany and why he would believe and see the world the way he does. It shows you how people are radicalized. It shows you the logic behind evil actions that people, especially people who are are surrounded and lied to and grown up in these systems. And so it's a really interesting look into extremism um but it's also uh, just heartbreakingly beautiful yeah. um his relationship with his mother who is a who is resisting um her own country's um uh, immorality and and she can see through the propaganda and she's trying to help her son see through that um i won't give away any spoilers but it's a really i think it's a very beautiful depiction and then the son comes into contact with a a young jewish girl who is hiding yeah. from and so he's forced to confront all of his preconceived notions that he learned from the propaganda about the quote unquote enemy. And it's just a really beautiful story. I find um, a lot of people didn't like it. A lot of people did. I'm one of the people who did. And I think it's, it's a really worth a watch and it'll give you an interesting perspective yeah. on how people get to the place where they support terrible things happening yeah. and support violence and dehumanize uh, yeah. other people and okay violent acts. So I, I think it's a great movie. What what were your thoughts on it? I can't remember. I, like I, so I, I, had, I, had very, I was mixed on it because I thought that in many ways it, it gave people an incorrect idea about how extremism is fostered and mm. how things like that by kind of flattening it. I think they made, um, it, it, I think that they, they made uh, how the extremism is fostered, flattened it and kind of made it- In what it, way? Well, it's like, it's the, they really, they basically just said, here's a bunch of silly things that people in power are telling people and people are believing them because they're the people in power. And that's not exactly how it worked or how it usually worked. Usually there's other kind of things going on that, uh, that, helped, that, that helped that happening. And it kind of just, it became an excuse to say, you know, I don't know. It's it, 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 so I think it, it deceived people to thinking that uh, some of these um, extremist ideologies are more straw men than they actually are. So it doesn't actually help us to uh, deal with them or to confront them. So I had that kind of problem with it. Um, but I think that it's really good in articulating experience of being a young person who is told a bunch of things and then experiences reality and sees how the reality has a voice. And that's when you're, you're, at, you're taught what you're taught versus what you actually experience, what reality is actually like, um, what that's like to confront that. And it, it's, it's beautiful in terms of looking at surrogate father figures and, and mothers and, and, and it, it's very beautifully done. But I think to a certain degree, it gives people a false picture in terms of saying, oh, because again, it just says, here's a bunch of silly things that we see as totally outrageous, but everybody just believes. Why do they just believe it? They don't really delve into that in any meaningful way. 
Um, and I think to a, to a certain degree, it helps people to feel more self-righteous about how we're clearly, you know, we're on the right side because other people believing extremist things is just ridiculous. So as I, I think that it, it delves a little bit too much into that for my taste, but there's a lot of beautiful, good things about it too. So I, again, I, I kind of go back and forth about it. I have pushback on your pushback, but we'll save it for another episode. That sounds good, yes. Um, uh, just know everyone he's wrong it's a beautiful <laughs> movie uh, but no I, I really enjoy that so that'll be a bless for me um, my curse is going to be this is kind of an easy one and you know I'm the first one to defend video games and say <laughs> I need to chill out a little bit there's not lots of ties but I think there's one thing that really harmed the debate you know as as we're over here saying you know video games don't make people violent they're good and beautiful and all this then Call of Duty comes out with Black Ops <laughs> And I don't know if you guys heard about, which is my curse, by the way. I don't know if you, uh, how many of you out there have heard about this controversy when it came out, but I, I think what Call of Duty did, and maybe still does, I, I was never really a player of this particular game, is it, it gave a generation of young men a glorification of war. Hmm. This is not something to be avoided. This is something to kind of revel in, you know, and, and it almost happened in its realism. It was very, um, but it, it, you know, gives you like points that pop up off people's heads when you violently kill them. Um, and so I, I can see the, the pushback and why people would, would be say, well, are video games good for us? But the one thing that really pushed it over the edge was a mission they had in the story mode, mm. which was you play undercover as a, um, as an, a, a, a as an informant, like a, a double agent for the bad guys and for a terrorist organization. And to complete the mission, you have to uh, carry out a ter terrorist um, act. Oh, so you would have to go to an airport with your gun and mow down like a 200 people. And you oh, cannot geez. pass a level unless you do this. Innocent people, by the way, you're working with the terrorist organization. And so they justify because you're a double agent, oh, but then they no. force the player to carry out this incredibly almost sadistically, uh, gleefully violent act. Ugh. And knowing that their their audience is primarily young men and knowing yeah. that you can't even skip the level, that you can't even, that you have, it, it, to me it seemed um, unforgivable, to be yeah. honest, by the developers. That That's immoral and violent yeah. and evil. And I yeah. and I vehemently curse this kind of thing. And, and this is coming from someone who defends video games and yeah. plays FPSs and because that to me was so overtly disgusting. Yeah. I, I couldn't believe it when I heard no, it. No, that that sounds like satanic, and I don't I don't uh, use that word lightly. Um, wait, you don't defend just like we don't defend all movies. We don't defend all yes. video games. Yes, we defend exactly. it as an art form. <laughs> so, but that is such an example of people um, glorifying violence, yeah. war, even where it's this kind of almost an aesthetic. War is an aesthetic, yeah. and a fun thing to take place in. And it it just desensitized. So yeah, that that's my curse. So those are my pluses and curses. That's those are good ones. All right. Well, thank you everybody so much for joining us for this obviously very difficult uh, episode. We like to delve into difficult topics, in this, and some of them are you know easier to delve into than others. This is a very hard one. We appreciate you joining us for this and engaging with us. Please, if you have other thoughts on this, both on sort of the more pro. Uh, war side versus the more uh, pacifist, nonviolent side. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this. What do you think that we got right? What do you think we got wrong? We'd love to hear engage, engage with us uh, in the comments or in message. You can send a message to theoverthinkersjournal.com. Uh, very much thank you for engaging with us. Nathan, if people want to engage with you, uh, where is where's a good place to find you and reach you and see what other stuff you're doing? 
Yeah, they can go to nathanclarkson.me or search my name on the socials. They can also um, get a copy of my new book Ooh, that's yes. called The Way of Kings. It's going to come out in April. And this actually, this book actually, it's it's written as, you know, 40 letters to young men. Um, and it, it talks about violence. It talks about fighting. I mean, it's literally the concept is around kings, right? Yeah. And, and kingdoms. And and it talks about these these things uh, in a way that I, that I hope young, uh, all men really, but, but young men really can grasp and start to engage with these topics of peace. And what does justice look like? What does fighting look like? Like, what does goodness look like? What violence do we avoid when we have to fight? All these different things. Um, but it is around the concept of kings and kingdoms. So I'd love for you to grab a copy of The Way of Kings, which is available for pre-order now, and where I talk about some of the things we talked today. Very cool. Very cool. And also, you have a movie that's out in, in, uh, this month, right? Yes, uh, coming out with a date to be announced. Okay, um, yes. right. Don't Know Jack is coming out, and I want you all to see it. It's my first kind of foray out of the quote-unquote faith-based Christian um, movie world and into kind of delving into some deeper subjects. It's, it's gorgeous, and, so I definitely look forward to when we can announce the date, because that's really cool. Oh, yes, yes, very soon. Probably next episode. Oh, yeah, cool. <laughs> all right, then. Um, I think uh very cool all right yes and if you want to get in, uh, get in touch with me you can find me on all the socials joseph holmes just search joseph holmes uh again thank you very much for joining everyone remember if it's worth thinking about it's worth overthinking about mm -hmm.